Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Lovely to stand in God's house and sing with his people once again. We gather next and we turn to confess our sins. Philippians chapter 4 is our call to confession. Hear God's word, verses 2 through 7 of Philippians 4. I implore Euodia and I implore Suntuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thus far, the reading of God's word. We like to quote verses 4 through 7 of this passage. They call us to joy, to gentleness, to prayer, and to peace. But the striking thing about it is the context, verses 2 and 3. These two women who were at odds, personal conflict going on. I don't know about you, but when I'm disagreeing with someone, when I'm having a falling out with someone, the last thing I have is joy, gentleness, prayer, or peace. Quite the opposite. And this is a lesson, I think, in how God's word works. When you get in a situation, you'll naturally respond a certain way. And the Bible will often call you to check that and do something else instead. It's the same in marriage in Ephesians 5. It's another good example. When a man marries, he wants to work for his wife. He wants to sacrifice for her. He wants to die for her. But the Bible tells him to love her, to cherish her, to water her with the word. The wife often naturally wants to do nice things for her husband. The Bible tells her to respect him. Uh, Fathers often want to be hard on their boys to prepare them for life. But the Bible tells him not to exasperate them. Now, I'm not saying don't do the other things, but put your focus where Scripture directs you. This is an important principle of God's Word. Let's confess our own sins now before Almighty God. Coming towards the end of our sermon series in Nehemiah, two chapters to go. Chapter 12 today. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Nehemiah chapter 12. And just to prepare you once again, as in many chapters before, there's a long list of names that comes at us here. So let's uh, consider God's word. Let me pray first. Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule, and may your spirit be our teacher, and may the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, be our single concern. We pray it in his name. Amen. Nehemiah 12. Hear God's infallible word. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua. Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Ido, Ginathoi, Abijah, Miamin, Maadiah, 
Bilga, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, and Yediah. These were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Yeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Yeshua, Binui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the thanksgiving psalms, he and his brethren. Also, Bakbukiah and Uni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. Yeshua begot Jehoiakim, Joiakim begot Eliashib, Eliashib begot Yoida, Yoida begot Jonathan, and Jonathan begot Jadua. Now in the days of Joiakim, the priests, the heads of the fathers' houses were of Sariah, Mariah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Yehohanan, of Melechu, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merioth, Helkai, of Ido, Zechariah, of Ginnathan, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, the son of Minyamin, of Moadiah, Piltiah, of Bilga, Shamua, of Shemaiah, Jehanathan, of Joyarib, Matinai, of Jediah, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amak, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, and of Jediah, Nethanel. During the reign of Darius, the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib, Yoida, Johanan, and Yadua. The sons of Levi, the heads of the father's houses until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Yeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers across from them, to praise and give thanks, group alternating with group according to the command of David, the man of God. Mataniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Telman, and Akub were gatekeepers, keeping the watch at the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joiakim, the son of Yeshua, the son of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, <coughs> from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves, and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. After them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Milkiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David 
as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens, as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Maaseiah, Minyamin, Micaiah, Elioinai, Zechariah, and Hananiah <clears throat> with trumpets. Also Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzi, Yehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them into to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of our God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Once again, what are we going to do with this long list of names? Uh, the main point here, I think, is that God gives us things we need. And that's been a point before in Nehemiah. But here we see some specific things. God gives us people that we need. He gives us the daily bread that we need. And he gives us the joy that we need and ways to express that joy. That's what I'm seeing in this chapter this week. You see in the outline in the bulletin, it's really three sections. They're not the same in length. But you have the priests and Levites up until verse 26. That's the people that God gives. And then in verse 27 to 43, the dedication of the wall. And that's uh, mixed in with music and a procession, uh, a ceremony. God gives us ways to express our joy is the point there. And then at the very end, verse 44 to the end, a smaller section on the tithes that are brought in to the storehouse. And there the point is that God gives us the daily bread that we need, the, the food that we need, sustenance for life. So we'll look at each of those in turn. So first we have the priests and the Levites. And this is why we read from in Numbers 8. Uh, just let's remind ourselves again what, who the priests and Levites are, right? We know the Levites are uh, the third tribe, right, Levi, uh, so all the uh, people of Israel who were of the, uh, descended from Levi are Levites. Uh, Numbers 8, though, we see that God wanted Aaron and his descendants doing the sacrifices as the priests. So priests and Levites aren't quite exactly the same thing. Moses and Aaron were brothers from the tribe of Levi. 
So priests uh, are a smaller subset within the Levite tribe, right? Only the descendants of Aaron could be priests and offer sacrifices and lead worship. That's something we often forget what's, what's going on Old Testament-wise is the priests are leading worship. But that's what they're doing. We, we kind of forget that in the whole sacrifice thing. Uh, sacrifice, of course, has gone away, but there's still the principle here of leading worship. So there's a rough equivalent of this all today. We have church officers. We have deacons. We have elders. We have pastors. And each one has their role. The deacon caring for the poor, administering the tithes, keeping up the physical church building. This is exactly what the Levites did. That was their role as well. Elders judging matters in the gates, just like in the Old Testament. Pastors leading worship, teaching, praying, just like Old Testament priests. They've, the, the priests studied the scriptures the most. They worked the most at teaching it to the people. So that was the roles of, of each. And roughly speaking, the, those carry on today. Some adjustments perhaps, but pretty much the same pattern. So the big point here is that this is a real gift that God gives to his people. It's a long list of names. We don't know anything about them, so we just kind of shake our heads. But as they read these names, they knew these names. Right? Think of your five, top five or ten favorite teachers that you listen to on podcasts or online or something that you're thankful for. That's the list of names here. And you're thankful for them. That God gives his people the gift of teachers. That's in Ephesians 4, right? God, Jesus gives gifts to his church. He gives some apostles, some prophets, some pastors and teachers, etc. So uh, here you see the same thing. In verse 44, if we skip back to the end of the chapter here, Nehemiah 12, 44, you, you, you can see that the people are really thankful for this. Uh, where is it? For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Right? They're thankful that the priests and Levites are doing their job. Now, this can get a little self-serving because I'm the one talking about myself at this point, right? But the point isn't to, to fawn on teachers or to put them on a pedestal. The, the point is to give thanks to God when you receive good teaching from God's word. That is a real gift. A real gift. We just had that with Rich Lusk this past week. Right? He opened this obscure book of Zephaniah to us, and it just leapt off the page. The, the ways in which our culture today are turning against God, the clear gospel message that he gave. Wow. We do not live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. It's very important to us, for example, that we get good food into our bodies. Right? For our families. Nutrition's a big deal. How much more should we be thankful when we get good soul food teaching from the word into our souls? It's a big thing. So when I read this list of names this week, right after a presbytery gathering, it just leapt off the page to me. I, I cherish every name on here. Uh, go back and start. Where is it? Verse 1. The leaders who came up with Zerubbabel, the first name after the colon is Sariah. Don't know anything about Sariah, but he's the, the, one of the chief priests at the time. So when I hear the name Sariah, I think that's Pastor Bill Smith, our presiding minister in Illinois. And then I read the next name, Jeremiah. That's Jeff Swanson, pastor just west three hours here, who's helped us a great deal. 
Ezra is the next one, not the scribe, a, a different Ezra. Well, that's Pastor Jacob Hanvey up in the thumb. He's come and preached to us sometimes too. Amariah is another one. That's Pastor Nate Harlan in northern Indiana. I have worked with each of these men. I have seen them criticized by their people. I have seen them pour out their heart and soul to bring the word of God to Christ's people. They are dear and precious to me. And you probably have your own list of friends and mentors who have urged you on in the faith. So I cherish every name here. But let's broaden that point, as I just implied. God gives you the people that you need to make it in life. Not just priests and Levites and pastors. God gives you parents. He gives you school teachers, mentors, online teachers, friends at church, neighbors, co-workers. This is a little counterintuitive for us, especially at church. Each of us comes to a specific church for rather different reasons sometimes. And you might look around, let's be honest, and think, I need these people? We often wonder, do I really? What, is a, what does a retired GM engineer have in common with a young single salesman? What does an auto, automotive supplier manager in Detroit have in common with a general contract construction worker? Well, I'll tell you what. We're all seeking to live out loyalty to Jesus Christ with our time and our treasure in our families. And we're pretty sure that worshiping him in this way is how we start doing that. We do have a lot in common, just not all the demographic stuff that the, the politicians keep track of, right? So acknowledging that, fellowship here can sometimes be a bit awkward because of how different we are from each other, right? But we need the people that God is putting in front of us to help us grow in fellowship. It's a good thing. So that's the first point. God gives us the people that we need in our lives to grow in Christ. So second then, verse 27 on, uh, we have the dedication of the wall. Verse 27, I, I love the, this verse. They sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate. So they're marshalling all their musical forces, essentially. Uh, and not just the music, but the gatekeeping, uh, the taking care of the place physically, that kind of stuff. So they're going to dedicate the wall. Nehemiah basically says hey, we need music to do this well. Music is mentioned here in verse 8, verse 24, verse 27, verse 36. Uh, lots of references to the music going on. So we need a, we need a festive occasion every now and then, right? Like a, like a Cinco de Mayo party coming this Friday. Uh, we, we need festive occasions. Uh, Rich talked about that. Uh, before the presbytery. We've got those, by the way, those talks are up on our website now, uh, all the ones that he gave just to the presbytery as well. That was the last thing he talked about in Zephaniah, is God rejoices over his people. And one characteristic of a, a good church, a faithful church, should be festivity. So we need that. And so, you know, marshal the musical forces. But, but more than just festivity, what goes on here is a ceremony, right? Nehemiah puts together this whole procession I mean, half the choir goes this way, half the choir goes this way. So there's a, there's a plan here and there's a ceremony. Uh, we need that in our lives too sometimes, ceremonies. Right? Think of a wedding ceremony. Right? That's something that God has given to us to express joy. That's, that's the big point I'm making. 
But we have patterns in our lives that ought to be marked by ceremony like this. So this ceremony fits with this great accomplishment. They've built the wall. They're, they're um, getting all the people in the right places, doing the right things. Uh, Nehemiah's um, vision, when he was back, way back when he was cupbearer to the king in Persia, is coming to fruition. It's starting to happen. So let's mark that, like with a 20th anniversary celebration dinner, that kind of thing. That's what they're doing. So it's a, it's a procession. They're um, getting all the music together. Verse 30, I think, is, is interesting and important. Uh, it really uh, struck me. Uh, the leaders of Judah up on the wall appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. Oh, I'm reading the wrong verse. Uh, verse 30. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Now that goes along with, later on, the people rejoicing that the priests and Levites were ministering. They were doing what they were supposed to do. This probably is mainly a reference to the ritual purity. They had to be clean in a certain way, do the washings, and so on. So they're reading the word and following the word. But there's also an element here of, of moral purity. The priests and the Levites were, are often, in the prophets, castigated for their immorality. Believe it or not. If you turn to me, uh, with me to uh, Ezekiel chapter 8... Uh, I want to share just one uh, obscure example of this. Uh, We hardly ever go here. It's little known, and it's a very dark passage of Scripture. Ezekiel 8, verse 6, you see the opposite. Many, many times in Israel's history, the priests and the Levites were corrupt and were not following God's ways. Ezekiel 8, verse 6, Ezekiel's having a vision. Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. The vision is right inside the temple. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst, Yahazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. It's a shocking passage. A vision right in the temple of the chief priests worshiping idols, seeing what they do in the dark. And so in stark contrast to that, here in Nehemiah, the priests and the Levites purify themselves. And the people see it. And they rejoice and they give thanks. There's there's a dedication, there's a purity that's marked, that's going on. Uh, Last thing to talk about in this section is the the music and the joy. So uh, skipping down to verse 42, once again, uh, we have a a music interlude there. At the very end of the list of names, this one quick sentence. The singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah the director. The singers sang loudly. 
Literally, it says, they made their voice to be heard. <laughs> That's the, the, the literal Hebrew. I had a guy call me just this past week out of the blue from west of Chicago, like six, eight hours away from here. He was asking for a church recommendation in the Grand Rapids area because he had visited three different CREC churches in the last little bit, three different states, and not ours, and he could not stop raving about how wonderful the worship was and how different CREC worship is from the normal church that he's gone to. And the main thing that he said is this. He said, the men sing. The men sing. And I've said this before at Psalm Sings. It's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, so please forgive me. Singing is a very physical activity. It's physical to be able to do the singing, right? And we reform types, we tend to be a bit more cerebral and Gnostic, right? We get to thinking, believing that it's just our thoughts that matter, that our bodies aren't that important. No, no, no. When you take a deeper breath to sing... And when you press the air over your vocal cords a little harder and you sing louder, you're expressing your faith more robustly. And you will, trust me, you will edify those around you. It's true. I would urge you to please work at that. And not because we're distinguishing ourselves as great singers or anything. That's not the point. This is obedience to God's word. It's literally right there in the Bible. We read some of the verses today. I think you can make as good a case that the Bible requires us to sing loud in worship as you can that the Bible requires us to gather for worship at all. It's mentioned just as many times, probably more, Psalm 90s to 100s especially. So sing loud. It's one reason my voice is not so good right now, because I often have to hold back in the singing before the, ser- before the sermon, or I'll lose my voice. But I, that's hard to do when you know you're going to preach a sermon on singing loud. So anyway, so sing loud. Now, why sing? And again, the principle here is that it's an expression of joy. Right? God, uh, how to describe this? I didn't write this out, but God has a certain way he wants his creation to work a certain way he wants his people to be. And because of that, he's worked into creation specific things that make that happen. Like he wants us to uh, uh, multiply, to reproduce. So he's built our bodies in a certain way that make that happen and that make it happen enjoyably. <laughs> right? That's just one example. Music's another one of those. There's, there's a joy that God means to be in our hearts that's meant to be expressed. And music is one way we do that. Anyway, very next verse after 42. They sing loudly. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the next verse. And I think this is the, the key verse of the whole uh, chapter, verse 43. That day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Now count for me a second. How many times is rejoice or joy in there? <laughs> the, the Hebrew does this often. It'll repeat to make the point that this is the main thing. There's no other verse in this chapter that's got one word or form of a word five times. 
It's a huge billboard flashing red light going off. This is the thing. The joy of Jerusalem. They were rejoicing. Because they had the people. They had the wall. They had security. They had faithful people bringing in the tithes. And so they rejoiced. Again, Rich mentioned it at the end of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.17 is a precious verse in Scripture. God will rejoice over us with singing. That's the promise in God's word. Think of that picture. It's a picture of redeemed people who have struggled all their lives. Painful trials. But in the end, the final picture is of a father gathering his children around his table in his home, so happy with them that he sings over them. That's our Heavenly Father. So we, we closed on that note at the talk on Tuesday morning, and it was snowing lightly. And, and so we stood in a hotel conference room as it was snowing in April, and we sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy. Joy is a funny thing. People try to chase joy like it's a feeling. C.S. Lewis talks about that. His autobiography is called Surprised by Joy. And he spoke of joy like that. He, he had this intense feeling of joy at various points in his early life. And that, that really stuck with him. Like, if that's there, and if I can get that again, if that's real, it was just a pointer to him of heaven. There, there's got to be something beyond this, this world. Because that was so otherworldly. The intensity of that joy. Well, but you can't chase it like a feeling. It comes to us in God's providence as we obey him. John 15, Jesus tells us this. We we often focus on the first verses where he's the vine and we're the branches. We have to bear fruit. Abide in him, right? And we often stop there. But what does he say next? Abide in me. Bear fruit. Keep my commandments. Verse 11. That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The whole thing, our salvation, regeneration, justification, sanctification, is all leading to the point of glorification and joy. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him. And so we get a little pointer of that in the middle of redemptive history, at the end here of Nehemiah 12. The joy of Jerusalem is heard afar off. Nehemiah had led the people to obey God, to restore temple worship, to build a secure city. It took a while, and it was hard. Don't forget earlier in the book, Nehemiah 4.10, the strength of the laborers is failing. We are not able to build the wall. There was a point where it was just too much. It was too hard. Or don't forget chapter 5. The rich were oppressing the poor. So don't be deceived. This isn't a simple formula. Obey and you'll be blessed with joy. The pattern we see in the Bible is usually more like this. Obey and things will get harder for a while. Weeping may endure for the night. 
Psalm 30, verse 5, but joy comes in the morning. So God gives us people. He gives us joy. He gives us music. He gives us the wall, the security. And last, God gives us daily bread. Verses 44 to 47. Here you have the um, tithes coming into the storehouse, the offerings, the first fruits. They're such an overflow. They, they uh, offer great sacrifices. And that results in a lot of uh, grain, uh, wine, oil, etc. in the storehouses. So here you kind of have to imagine a little bit, put yourself in the place of the Levites. Right? The Levites don't have land to work. Their inheritance, their livelihood is from the tithes of, in the temple. And so year by year, what the Levites were always doing, they didn't, they didn't um, have employment to provide for their families. They have to trust that God's people will bring the tithe into the temple storehouse. And they're thinking every year, as that time rolls around, harvest time. Maybe Israel has wavered a little bit in their faith. Maybe they'll give half of their tithe this year to Molech or to Baal. They often did that. Elijah faced that strongly. Choose this day who you will serve. And the people stayed quiet. They'd give half their tithe to both. Who knows? The Levites would, would wait. Now the Levites are kind of a, a special set of people, but realize that that reality is not that far off for each of us. Each of us has to trust that God will provide work for us. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. The Levites were a living example for all of Israel of how radically dependent we are on God. And so here you have not just um, an enthusiastic day of celebration, but you have tangibly filled storehouses resulting from the joy of Jerusalem that are now providing abundantly for these priests and Levites. It's exactly how the gospel works. When the gospel penetrates into a community, into a heart, there's a joy that results in more work, more abundance, more giving, more blessing. That's what we see. So along with that, we have the gatekeepers. They're mentioned once again. Sometimes I like to call them the bouncers of the, the temple. They are security. They're making sure everything's going, going well. Back in verse 25, they're mentioned. Also here in verse 20, uh, 45 and 47. They kept the charge of their God, the charge of the purification. Um, and here, I think what's important to notice is that the, the joy that we have, the, the joy that Jerusalem had, did not cause an um, imprudence. Um, they, they kept their presence of mind. <laughs> right? We often think of joy as just ah, going crazy. No, no more rules, no boundaries. Oh no, godly joy uh, brings a lot of wisdom too. And the wisdom they needed at that point was, hey, we got to guard all this stuff. I mean, this is, this is like a bank account that just went up 500%. And it's not in a bank, the temple is the bank. So you got to guard the temple. And that's what the gatekeepers are there for. So it's a joy there that is uh, lasting, that is wise. Um, coming towards the end here, I, I couldn't resist. I want to turn to Psalm 126. 
This is a psalm that is so fitting. Uh, psalm 126, uh, a song of ascents. When the Lord brings back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And this is Nehemiah, right? Had come back from captivity. And so they're rejoicing. We're going on. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. <laughs> rejoicing. But again, verse 5. It wasn't all roses. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. You know, month by month, season by season, year by year, they're trying to reestablish this, this exile community. And it's hard ground. And there's a lot of enemies that are taking their stuff and, and they don't have enough workers and so on. But the one who does that will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. God promises the harvest will come. The sheaf of wheat is what they're talking about. You're going to bring in a harvest of wheat. It will come, and you will rejoice. That's the promise, even if we can't see it yet. So to bring this in for a landing today, when, when God saves you, he changes your heart so that you want to obey him. And that's Nehemiah 1 and 2. God puts it in the heart of Nehemiah to do this. You want to build the walls of Jerusalem. But when you change direction like that, you face new obstacles. Some people in your life won't like it. Your own old habits won't like it. And that's Nehemiah 4 to 6. All the obstacles in their way. But we keep coming back to God's word, repenting of our sin. That's chapters 8 and 9 of Nehemiah. And God brings you new people into your life who will help you build. And that, interestingly, is chapters 3, 7, 10, 11, and 12. That's a pretty big chunk of Nehemiah, and that's a big part of his message. But notice that Jesus is all of these things. Jesus is the priest given to us in verse 1. Jesus is the source of our joy and security as they dedicate the wall with song. Jesus is the daily bread we need to gather in our storehouse. God gives us the people that we need, the bread we need, the joy we need. Next week, there's just one last piece of Nehemiah to talk about, the last chapter. Uh, that's uh, an interesting thing to consider. We'll look at that uh, then. But for now, remember and rely on God and his provision of us in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your provision for your people. We thank you that um, you lead us by your Spirit to help us to see it. Often we don't even see it, or we don't like what you're giving. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, help us uh, to be submissive to your will and to your word. Help us to uh, be active and eager and looking about for what you are calling us to do. Keep us, uh, Lord, in the joy of the Lord. Uh, we often get despondent, discouraged, and despairing. But Lord, at the root of it all, there is a deep foundational joy. 
because of what Christ you have done for us in Christ. So we pray to you in his name. Choice pieces, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the leaves. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And Zephaniah 3 in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Dinner tables should be places of joy. Mealtime is a good barometer of your spiritual health. I don't know if you've noticed that. Do you always eat alone in a rush? Is it filled with siblings sniping and biting at each other? Are parents always upset and criticizing the kids? It's important to know how to set a tone of joy when you gather together as a family. Prayer and song are helpful ways to do that. And God the Father does this here. He rejoices over us with singing. Flawed and foolish as we are, our Father favors us. So we, may we have that same grace with each other and rejoice together in his love. Come for all things are now ready. We invite you to the Lord's table, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As you eat the bread and drink the wine with us, you're acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy that you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.